0: Amen. Good morning. morning. Hope you guys are doing good. Glad to be with you. Um, Always good to come over and see what God's doing here in Vidalia through Connection Church through you guys. Um, And uh, always good to get to see Billy and all the leadership here uh, as a part of this church and just excited for that. Excited for you, um, what God's done, what God's doing, especially what God's going to do um, in the future. And so. Um, and I'm excited to be able to share today. I know you guys have been in uh, going through the Bible, uh, going through different uh, accounts, stories, and scripture, and going through the entire Bible. And so today, this message will be the last message before you get to the birth of Christ. And so kind of looking at some of these last prophets, um, and specifically today, we're going to look at the prophet Habakkuk, and kind of use that as a jumping off place for us um, today. And so why don't we go ahead, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to begin there, then we're going to go to the prophet Habakkuk, and then uh, we'll pray and, and get going with this. So Genesis chapter 1, obviously this is where God begins to create everything. He goes, he, he begins to speak, and um, he says, let there be light. He, he begins to speak and there's water there's land um there's animals and and then he gets to verse 26 of genesis and it says this says then god said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground so god created mankind in his own image In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, and this is important, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. All right, let's go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Now, you you're going to have to do a little searching for this one if you don't know right where it's at. You got to go through all these uh, major, what well, they would consider major prophets uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, a bunch of those. You're going to come on into the minor prophets. If you can get to a point where you see Nahum, you're close. But good luck with that because it's only like two, three chapters. So uh, right after Nahum, though, is Habakkuk. If you get to Zephaniah, you went too far, but right there, uh, Habakkuk, um, sort of in the middle of the Bible. We're going to start here uh, to begin to see what I feel like the Lord wants us to see today. And so, a little context on where Habakkuk is, what we're at the time he's writing. Um, Habakkuk is an Israelite, a Jew. Uh, you know, the Jewish people were God's chosen people that God chose to use to bring the Messiah, Jesus, into the world. The Savior came through the Jewish people. And so, in this situation, uh, the Israelites, as they did throughout their history, they were not living faithful to God, and so God is about to bring judgment upon them. But He's going to do it through a group of people called the Babylonians. And so Habakkuk is kind of looking around and he's recognizing a little of what's happening. And he actually, in the first couple of chapter, in the first chapter, he brings a couple of complaints or questions to God, kind of like, God, why are you doing this? Why are you silent? Why are you? Letting this wicked people rise up to um, defeat your people, to come against your people. And so he's saying these things, and um, God brings this answer. And it's really interesting. And and after God gives this answer, after God gives this response, chapter 3, Habakkuk now turns to worship and praise and thanking God. So I want you to see what this answer is. Habakkuk in his complaint and his questions He's asking God, why? Why is this happening? Why are the Babylonians, why are they prospering? Why are they coming against us? Why are you being silent? And God says this in Habakkuk 2.2. He says, write down the revelation or write down the vision and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Another translation says this, write down the vision and make it plain so that the one who reads it may run with it. And so we get to this place where Habakkuk is asking these questions. And God says to Habakkuk, look, you may not understand everything right now, but understand this vision. Understand what is going to happen. And so he goes then, go to 2.14, verse 14 in that same chapter. And God sort of gives the, to me the core point, the, the, the greatest sort of climactic part of this vision. And he says to Habakkuk, he says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And he says, look, Habakkuk, understand this. There are things that are happening you don't get. There are things that are happening you don't understand. There are things that are happening that that are hard for you to reconcile. But understand this, and he stakes it on himself, not on Habakkuk, not on you, not on me, He stakes it upon himself because he says the earth will be filled. He says it will happen. It will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Understand, the earth right now declares the glory of the Lord. What this is saying is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and its truth. God, thank you that we get to be a part of your plan. Lord, thank you for your great love, that you never gave up on us, that you never quit on your creation, that even when we are at our worst, your grace is sufficient. Even when we are in our weakest, your grace is sufficient. God, we thank you for the great love you've poured out upon us, the great love you've demonstrated in Christ. Would you open our eyes today that we could see, Lord, your great plan and your great love for us. We love you, Lord. We praise you, God, because you are worthy of our praise. In Christ's name, amen. So one of the things, and some of you probably had this experience where you watched a video Um, you heard a recording, something of your own voice. How many of you hate to hear your own voice? Anybody else hate to hear your voice? I hate to hear my own voice. Well, for some crazy reason, I went back and listened to some messages from 2013 that I preached. Um, At this point in time, we were meeting in Statesboro High School. Um, God had done some incredible things. And, And so I went back. I don't even know. I just felt led. Like, go back and listen to some of these messages. And so I went back and started listening through a series we did in 2013. And what it did was it took me back and began to remind me of all the things that God has done. And and it made me start reflecting not just on what he's done through the church, but just what he's done in my own life. I got saved when I was 24. If I had not gotten saved, if Jesus hadn't grabbed hold of me when he did, I, I don't know where I would be. I don't know even if I would be, right, if I'd even be alive because I was heading down some really bad paths I was making some really stupid decisions and yet God comes in now I have my wife I've got three boys that I love dearly Um, just this this incredible uh, life that God has blessed me with that never would have happened had Jesus not grabbed hold of me when he did I started thinking back to the church and I look at it now where it's at and you know yeah, we started in Statesboro, came to Vidalia, went to Millen, Dublin, Savannah, now Athens. And there's these connection churches playing everywhere. I look at this and it's all God. Like God did all of this, right? God did all of this. And I look at it and I know where we came from. I know the mistakes we've made. I know we shouldn't still be here from a worldly perspective because we're just not that good, right? And I look at it and I even think back to when we first began and we started with 11 people in my house. They're in the middle ground community in Statesboro. 11 people in my house. We went to a pond house and we started having our services there after two weeks. And we get there, we um, set up worship. It was off of a computer with a, a borrowed screen that I'd gotten and a borrowed projector. And we just go in and worship, and I'd preach. The first service we had there, there were seven people that showed up, and five of them were my family. And people are like, is it hard to preach in front of a bunch of people? I'm like, no, it's hard to preach in front of seven. When five of them are like your parents, your in-laws, and then I think my brother-in-law came. And then two other people. I'm like, you know how awkward that is? We got the, the worship going on the screen, and we got this borrowed projector, and, and, and then people started coming. We probably got to about 30 or 35 people meeting in that pond house, but it was really just one big room with a couple of little bedrooms. You couldn't really do anything with those. They were too small, and so people were bringing kids, and I'm like, well, what are we going to do with these kids? And I was like, I know. We'll put them on the back porch. The problem with that, though, was this was in the months of November, uh, December, and January on a screened in porch and so I was like okay let's go get some plastic and wrap the back porch with plastic and so we did that but it was still cold and so I went to a friend of mine who has a construction business and I said hey don't you have some big heaters we could use he said yeah they're right here he gave them to me what I didn't realize is that they blew a flame out about this long and so we set those heaters up, tried to barricade them in with some tables or something so the kids couldn't get to the heaters and catch on fire. They'd ask me, they're like, what you want us to teach the kids tonight? I'm like, I really don't care. Just don't let them ignite, you know. Just don't let them catch on fire. And I look at that. And I'm like, God has been so faithful. It was crazy on the way over here. It seemed like every song that, that came on was about God's faithfulness. And here's what I want you to see today. Man, I want you to get get hold of this. I want us to really be able to grab this. That one of our biggest problems in the church is that we don't realize how great, one, God's love is for us. And we don't realize how great God's plans and purposes for us really are. We don't realize it. We don't realize how great his love is. We don't realize how great his plan and purpose is. Not just for me. This is not like some health and wealth kind of thing. I'm not saying like God has this great plan for you and you're going to be the next. I'm saying God has this great plan for us. His people. To do what only God's people can do. See, the problem, though, is when we don't realize how much God loves us, when we don't realize the plan and purposes that God really has for his people, what he's called us to, then we end up becoming bored. Church just becomes boring, right? And rightfully so, because if we're just coming in and going out, that's kind of pointless. We then kind of just start going through religious motions, but we're still unfulfilled. We're not motivated towards the things of God. We even get disillusioned because we start thinking like, is this really all there is? And when we look at the Bible and we go through the Gospels and Acts and the letters and we see what God's doing and people getting saved, all these things happening, we look at it and we go, well, why is my experience not lining up with what the Scriptures are saying? And we become disillusioned and People even begin to walk away from the church and walk away from God because we look at it and go, I don't need this. I don't need this. This is not doing anything for me. I don't feel any sense of satisfaction, fulfillment. Where's the power? And I get this. When I first started going to church when I was a teenager, I went to go be with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and we went and... uh I started noticing that some of the really prominent people in town were ushers, and so they would have their suit on. They would come down, they and, you know, and it was kind of like, man, like they, they kind of like a big deal. They're like walking down, the music's playing, they got the gold plates, they're passing the plates, then they just mysteriously disappear out the back, and and I'm like, well, to be somebody, that that must be part of what you do, right? Is you you come to church and. And, man, those ushers, like, all of them are successful. They're well thought of. da 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 I was like, I know what I'll do. I'm, I'm at this point kind of in my mid to late teens. I'm like, I'm going to be usher. Well, like, hey, I want to be an usher. Okay, come on. So give me a suit. I, I go down. I'm passing the plates. You know, get back there. We dump it all in one big uh, zipper bag with a lock on it. Somebody's going to take it, go put it in the safe. And then I'm like, all right, I guess we go in service now. Well, I turn around, and they're all going out the back door. And I'm like, where are y'all going? Got a tea time. Going to play golf. I'm like, seriously? Seriously? And then uh, the more I watched and the more I observed, I'm like, I don't need this. I don't need something else to do, right? I don't need this. I don't need another thing on my just to go through the motions of. It was so disillusioned. I'm like, is this really all there is to church? I wasn't a Christian, wasn't a believer, didn't grow up in church. And I'm looking at this and going, is this it? This facade that's completely empty, this shell that's completely empty on the inside. This form of godliness without any power. And it was disillusioning. It's very much a turn off. The thing I want you to know is that God has incredible love for you, for us. And he's got an incredible purpose for us to be a part of. We see the beginning of this purpose, guys, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. God begins to create. And listen, the earth was void and empty. It was formless. And God begins to create. And he begins to speak. And in this darkness, light appears it was chaotic and void and God just begins to speak his, his word and the Holy Spirit begins to create and God through his word which Jesus the word made flesh all things created in him through him for him God begins to speak the word the Holy Spirit begins to create the Holy Spirit begins to bring this life out of nothing and see here's the thing the first thing I want you to see is that's where many of your lives were when you met Jesus. And for some of you, that's where your life is right now. And the first thing I want you to see is the love of God for you that takes a dark, chaotic, void, empty soul. And just when we hear his word and we believe his word, as we're going to see in a minute, life begins to come. And life fills that emptiness. But God begins to speak. And we get to Genesis 1, 26. And he's created all this. And then he speaks to man. And he says, be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Rule over it. In other words, what he's telling us is basically what he says is going to happen in Habakkuk 2, 14. He's saying, I want you to multiply. And I want you to fill the earth with the knowledge of my glory. You, as my image bearers, fill the earth, rule over it in a way that glorifies me. And then go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Everything's great, right? Relationships are good. Adam, Eve, relationships are good. Relationship with each other is good. Their purpose is clear. And then what happens? The enemy comes in. He deceives them. They eat the fruit. They sin. Listen, three things happened when that took place. Their relationship with God was broken. Their relationship with God was broken because they were no longer right with God. Sin separated them from God. They were no longer righteous. Righteous literally means as one ought to be. They were no longer as they were intended to be. And so the relationship was broken. Righteousness was lost. And their ability to rule or to fulfill their purpose was gone. They could no longer do this. And in this moment, God comes and he even walks through. And it's not like he doesn't know where Adam is. But he's like, Adam, where are you? Adam's hiding behind a tree, trying to get away from God. The dumbest game of hide and seek you could ever possibly play, right? And Adam's trying to hide from God. They've covered themselves with fig leaves. God comes in. They spill the bees. Like, this is what happened. Adam, instead of Eve now being a source of blessing, she's become a source of blame. He's like, she gave it to me. And God realizes what happened. Now, I don't know about you if you're a parent, but when your kids completely destroy something, they'll make you real happy, does it? Just for example, I'm a sinner just like you, right? Uh, yesterday, I take my two youngest children fishing. We get in the boat. The seat is broken, and my oldest two had taken it the last time. Not a nice boat. It's just, just a little like pond fishing, river fishing boat. Nothing much to it. But the seat was broken, The trolling motor cord that you pull the trolling motor up with and let it down with is broken. Everything it seemed like was broken. I'm like, what are y'all doing? Can't let you use nothing. Tear up everything. How am I going to get this trolling motor up and down? Right? Over a $1,500 boat. Right? God comes in. His entire creation is marred, destroyed. Its intent seems to be lost. And God comes in, and instead of getting first with Adam and Eve and getting all over them, he speaks to the enemy, the one who deceived them. It's almost like when I picture this, you've got Satan and Adam and Eve, and it's almost like God steps in like this and goes, I'm going to take care of y'all, but let me deal with you first. What an awesome God, right? And he tells them this. He, He tells the enemy he tells him, you're cursed, you're going to crawl on your belly. And he gets to verse 15 and he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you'll strike his heel. In other words, he's saying, look, devil, you might have won in the garden right here. But there's going to come another time when I'm going to send the offspring of this woman that you just deceived. And guess what? He's going to crush your head. You're going to be defeated, and my people are ultimately going to be victorious. And this is the first prophecy of Jesus. How many of you saw The Passion of the Christ? Y'all remember that first scene in The Passion of the Christ? When Jesus is on his face and he's praying, and the, the ugly bald dude representing Satan is there, and out of like his robe or whatever he was wearing, um, the snake comes crawling out. The snake's crawling and crawling, and Jesus is down there praying. And you're like, get up, Jesus! And then finally he gets up and right at the last minute, he just, yeah, crushed the head of the snake. That's in there because this is what it's referring to. This prophecy of Christ that the enemy will be defeated. And then God doesn't even stop there. Get this, this is right after sin has just totally destroyed the intent of God's creation. God doesn't give up. And see, this is where I'm very different than God. Because I would have looked at it and I would have been like, this whole thing's messed up. I would have said, "Poof," Because this is the way I think about it. I can have a new one in six days. Create it all in six I'm like, less than a week, we can start over. And I'm going to make better people. Right? I'm going to get this right this time. And God doesn't do that. In fact, he looks at Adam and Eve, and it's like this moment of compassion and mercy and grace. He looks at Adam and Eve, and they're standing there with the little fig leaves covering them, right? In their sin and shame. And he speaks to them and tells them the the, the consequences of their action. But then he's like, i got to teach them something else. And so he goes, and it says he made them... Clothes from animal skin to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame, to cover their guilt. What did he do? He sacrifices this animal and he comes and he puts it on them and covers them. And it's as if in that moment God is looking at them and telling them and all of mankind who will come after them. You have to understand this. You cannot make yourself right with me. You can go through all the motions and work as hard as you want to to cover your shame and your guilt and your nakedness, but it's going to take a sacrifice to cover what's really broken in you. It's going to take a sacrifice to make you right again. It's going to take a sacrifice to bring you back into relationship. And He's pointing us all the way to Jesus, who through Thousands of years, these thousands of years of history that he's he's going and he's walking through and and, and it finally gets to this climactic point where the final sacrifice is made on the cross so that we could once again have righteousness and relationship with God. That our ability to rule could once again be restored. And we see this promise all the way in Genesis chapter 3. I want you to see this. Your purpose, it goes all the way back to Genesis 1. Your purpose on this earth did not start when you were born, your parents were born, your great, your grandparents or your great grandparents were born. Your purpose started when God began to speak life into a void and dark world. Go to Genesis chapter 12. I just want you to see some of the promises that God has made through the Old Covenant. You've looked at a lot of these. We come to Genesis 11, it's the Tower of Babel, short of the long, people are doing exactly the opposite of what they were created to do. And yet God in his grace comes to a man named Abram and he begins to establish relationship with him. Nothing special about Abram, he will become Abraham. God uses him in a mighty way, but we see throughout scripture, Abraham was a sinful person. He was not perfect. He had a heart for God, but he screwed it up all the time. Yet God chooses him. And he tells them, I'm going to make you into a great nation in verse 2. He says in verse 3, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And he says, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. What's he doing? He's clarifying the purpose of his people once again. He's saying, understand this. My purpose has not changed. And now, Abraham, I'm establishing this relationship with you. And through you, Abraham, I'm going to bring a people. And I'm going to bring a person, the Messiah who through him all nations will be blessed. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Go to Genesis chapter 15. We see those two things right there really quick. We see grace again where God comes to a pagan, to a man who who, who doesn't deserve it. And he establishes this relationship and he clarifies his purpose And then we're going to see something really, really important in verse 15. God comes to him and he says, Abram, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. So I'm going to take care of you. And Abram goes, yeah, God, that's great. That's I understand. And he says, but look, I don't have any offspring. My offspring is going to be a blessing to all nations. I don't even have any kids. He says, in fact, everything you do for me, everything you give me is going to go to one of my servants. And then God makes this promise. He takes him outside in verse 5. He says, look at the sky. Look at the sky, Abram. And count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And listen to verse 6. This is so huge and so awesome. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness what did we see lost in the garden we saw relationship lost we saw righteousness lost what is God beginning to do reestablish relationship he shows us right here and this is going to be really important for the next promise we look at because God says Abram you believed my word you believed what I said you trusted me in this and he says because of this I'm crediting, I'm giving you righteousness because you believe my word. And so we see in this promise to Abram and God working through Abram, we one we see his great love and grace. We see this relationship begin to be established. We see the purpose clarified that this is to be for all nations. And we see the way of righteousness will not be through our own effort our own ability to make ourselves right, our righteousness will be by faith. Go now to Exodus chapter 19. We come to a man by the name of Moses. Moses at this time is now leading the Israelites, the people who came from Abraham, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. Moses is now leading them. And there's another promise in Exodus chapter 19. But this promise, and I want you to get this, I want you to see this. This promise is very different. So God comes to Moses in verse 3. He says, Moses went up to God. And then the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. So it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the people who came from him. He says, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. But listen, this is where it's different. He just told uh satan he said this is going to happen the offspring from this woman will crush your head he just told abram this is going to happen your your offspring will be a blessing to all nations but listen to the difference in this god tells moses now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession although the whole earth is mine you will be for me A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Now think about this. Did they do everything the Lord said? No. They screwed it up left and right. In fact, that's why we just read in Habakkuk where the Babylonians are about to be a source of judgment on God's people. God says throughout the scripture, you're stiff-necked people. You don't do what I've asked you to do. You go into Exodus chapter 20. We come to the Ten Commandments. These are the commands that God was saying you need to obey. And here's the truth of the matter. Nobody except Jesus has ever lived those out perfectly. Every one of us proves that Romans 3.23 is true, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person in here is proof of that statement. We have not fulfilled these perfectly. And so why would God give them a law he knows they can't fulfill? And he says, look, you want to be my people? You want to do this? You want to do this? You want to be blessed? Then obey these laws. Because here's the reason, guys. The law was never intended to make us righteous. It was to show us the standard of righteousness. And it was to show us our need for a savior. But it was never intended to make us righteous. You know what? The law is perfect. You know who's not perfect? Us. You know, where the weakness of the law is, It's in our ability to keep it. We can't keep it. And so the law was this standard that showed us and pointed us to a need for a Savior to be truly made righteous. This is righteousness. Get to this. And we can't get there. And see, here's the awesome thing. This, too, is pointing us to Jesus. Because here's the thing that happened. When Jesus came into the world, he came fully human. He came fully God and fully man. And when he comes into the world, we look at Jesus and we see not only the heart and nature and character of God, but we look at Jesus and we see humanity, what humanity was intended to be. And he comes in as the standard. And when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we don't measure up. Like, there's nobody in here today that if you stood next to Jesus and we played a video of your life and we played a video of Jesus' life, that we'd go, which one is it? Right? Nobody would do that. Not for me, not for you. And so he comes as the standard and he shows us that we don't measure up. Here's the other thing the Bible says. He doesn't only come as the standard, he comes as the judge. When he returns, it says all judgment has been given to Jesus. And so you've got the standard and you've got the judge of the standard and he's here, we're here. But here's where it's amazing. Here's where grace is truly amazing is that not only did Jesus come as the standard, not only will he come as the judge, but he also came as the fulfillment of all that we were lacking. So that when we couldn't fulfill the law, God in his love and grace, and so that his plan would be executed, could still be carried out, God sent his son to be the standard for us, to fill up what we were lacking. To take the punishment that we deserved for our sin. The one who had no sin became sin on a cross. And took the punishment for our shortcomings. The standard and the judge fulfilled what we were lacking. One more promise that we see. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're looking at the life here of King David. Actually his life is about to come to an end. And God makes one last promise to David in verse 12. David is about to die. David's had it in his heart to build a temple for the Lord. And you come to verse 12 and this is what the Lord says to him. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. And here is this problem, this, this promise, right? That helps resolve the problem that we saw in at Genesis three. We've seen now that righteousness would be reestablished by faith, by belief. We see now that relationship has been reestablished. It would be. Reestablished as we're made right by faith this relationship is reconnected we see this righteous standard that we couldn't fulfill but jesus fulfilled righteousness relationship now the only thing left is the rule the dominion the ability to subdue and to rule the earth in a way that brings god glory and we come to this and this is a promise of god to david a covenant promise where he says david You're not going to build a temple. Your son is going to build a temple. And from your line, I'm going to put someone on the throne that will rule and reign forever. Now, he's not talking about Solomon. He's not talking about any of David's other son. They didn't stay on the throne. But what he's doing is pointing us forward to another king who would come. And this king would be the king of kings. And he will sit and rule and reign forever on the throne. He's pointing us to Jesus. And in Christ, we've been given back relationship, we've been given back righteousness, and we've been given back the ability to rule dominion over the earth. What was Jesus saying in in Matthew 28 where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. He's saying, I've given you back everything you need to fulfill your purpose, even the fact that you are now being recreated in the image of God. See, Jesus came to set us free from sin and death, to set us free from trying to live out of our own ability, to give us the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's given us back everything. He set us free from the curse of sin so that, listen, not free so we can do whatever we want to do, free to do what we were ultimately created to do. And you look at this, it's so incredible. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, he tells us his very clear purpose, to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. You go and these are the first words God speaks to man recorded in the Bible. The last words of Jesus on earth. He speaks to his disciples and he tells them that once the Holy Spirit comes upon them, that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The entire earth will be blessed through you, Abram. You'll see that. That this thing has not changed since the very beginning. Our purpose is so great. Your purpose is connected to the very beginning of creation. And for thousands of years people were left hopeless they were left without the ability to accomplish this and now not through our ability not through what we can accomplish but through the accomplishments of Christ and the ability of the Holy Spirit in us we have been given back this opportunity to do what we were intended to do in the first place we hear people say stuff like this they might eat a a good meal. They might uh, be at the beach, sitting on the, and you hear people say this, this is just a, a little slice of heaven, right? This is like a taste of heaven, something like that. and Or this is like heaven on earth, or whatever it might be. But understand this, the birth of Christ, which you're about to begin looking at, is so much more than just getting us to heaven. So much more than just getting us there. So much more than even just giving us a taste of heaven. Jesus wasn't born just to get us to heaven. Jesus was born so heaven could be reestablished on earth. That the kingdom of God would come. Jesus wouldn't have taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. Unless there was a purpose for it. That God still desires to do this. And and listen, how does this happen? How does it happen? How does Habakkuk 2.14 happen? Understand this. It won't happen perfectly until Jesus returns. I I get that. You go read Revelation 21 and 22, and what you see is that what existed in the garden now exists again in the new heaven and the new earth. But I do know this, that God has called us right now to be a part of fulfilling Habakkuk 2.14, even now. Jesus brought the kingdom with him and we've been called to take, occupy, and transform ground to the glory of God. Not through weapons and not, not, not through um, a brutal, hostile takeover, but through this incredible love that God has displayed to us in Christ. The love he's given to us In Christ. So, how does it happen? How do we go about this? The thing I would tell you is, it's not a magic bullet. This one thing that all of a sudden the whole world is just like, "Oh my gosh, we all know Christ." No, it happens one person at a time. It happens one person at a time. This T-shirt I'm wearing it says, "Until every person knows." It's kind of our vision and states for our rally cry that until every person knows, we are going to go and share. The gospel of Jesus. Until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, we are going to share the knowledge of Jesus. But what's interesting is inside these letters is a fingerprint. Inside the outline of these letters is a fingerprint. And the girl who made this t-shirt did that because she didn't want us to ever forget that Habakkuk 2.14, every person knowing, it happens one person at a time. One person at a time. And so we come to this place where we recognize this. And listen, this is where you and I both step in. Not just me. It's not me and you, right? It's not Billy and then you. It's not us as in the professionals and them, those who live in the real world. It's just us. And this is where you come in. As you go and you make one disciple at a time. And listen, that can sound kind of scary. It can sound kind of like, what do I do? You know what you do? You invite somebody to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus. That's all it is. You take them to breakfast. You take them to lunch. You invite them to be a part of your life. And you just show them who Christ is. As you walk together. And one person at a time. Transform. One person at a time encountering Christ. One person at a time we see Habakkuk 2, 14 fulfilled. And here's the thing. This is the most common thing I hear with this. Well, Brandon, I don't know how to do that. What if they ask me questions? I don't know. I don't know enough. I don't know enough. And, And here's the crazy thing. I get that from people who've been in church 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And here's the challenge I would give to you. How long are we going to use that excuse? Right? How long? Who told you that you can't do this? Right? Who told you that? It wasn't God. Who told you you can't do that? Because that's a lie. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You begin to engage in this. And you begin to step out in this. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to screw up at some point. You're going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, feel like you failed, feel like you're not good enough. You know what you do? You get up and you go again. You get up and you go again. You know what you do? You fall forward. You fall forward and you get up and you go again. Y'all, I have done so many stupid things in ministry. Like when, I mean like embarrassing, like screwing up kind of things. I've said things, I could stand here all day and tell you stupid stuff I've said that was just embarrassing, stupid stuff I've done. And you know what I had to do? I just had to get up and go again. Just get up and go again, just get up and go again. Not trusting in my ability, trusting in his ability. Heck, after the first service, I'm like, that went over like, you know, like, um, I don't know what, wet blanket. I'm like, you know what I do? I get up and go again. Get up and go again. Because it's not about my ability. It's his ability. And I go again. And I go again. You know what I do? I enjoy him in the journey. Trusting him that's how it happens why would you do it why would you sign up for something you know you're gonna not be perfect at why would you sign up at something you're gonna fail at one because this is awesome right this plan is awesome do you realize you get to be a part of the plan that God had before the foundations of the earth were even laid I read an article, it's been a while back, about a guy who was speaking at like a Billy Graham convention. And he said, I used to think about how awesome it would be to get to heaven and to be able to run up to Peter and Paul, James and John, these disciples who were with Jesus, and ask them this question. Tell me, please tell me, what was it like? When the gospel started going out. When God began to move. And the gospel began to go to the ends of the earth. What was it like? He said but then I had another thought. That was even more exciting than that. And he said I had this thought of what if when I get to heaven. Peter and James and John and Paul, and all of these guys who were a part, and women who were a part of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, what if they come running up to me, and instead of me asking them, what was it like when it began? What if they were asking me, what was it like when it was finished? What was it like when Genesis 1, 26 through 28 was actually accomplished? When every nation had heard right now for every one unreached people group in the world there's like 600 and something churches what if we took this serious and we began to pray and certainly God would have to open doors and opportunities but what if the gospel went to them all what if tomorrow when Our feet, And I'm saying this to me too. What if tomorrow when our feet hit the floor, the alarm clock went off and after we hit snooze three times, right? Our feet hit the floor and we realize it's more than just going to earn a paycheck or going to school. Whatever you're going to do. It's to go and be a part of filling the earth with the knowledge of His glory and knowing you're not going to do that alone. But God is with you and in you to accomplish his purposes. What an awesome thing. Paul says this, the Apostle Paul, who wrote so many of the letters in the New Testament, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, Christ's love compels us. Not only is it an awesome plan to be a part of, and we get to be a part of God's work, but it is his love that compels us. The love of Christ compels us. And the last thing I'll tell you is, I want to be a part of this because I've realized I will never be fulfilled apart from him and his purposes. Never. It's kind of like your car running out of gas, and you ask somebody like, "I don't know what's wrong with this thing. It won't work." right?" And they look and they're like, "Well, you need to go fill her up, right? And so you're like, okay, I'll go fill her up. So you stick a hose pipe to the tank and fill it up with water. And then you get in and it still won't work. It still just doesn't seem to function. You're like, I don't get it. I filled her up, right? But not with the right thing. There's another prophet. His name's Haggai. And he prophesied to Israel because they were so consumed with building their own houses. That they had forsaken building gods and he prophesied to them he says you plant much you reap little you eat but you're never filled you drink but you never have enough he said you earn wages to put them in purses with holes what's he saying he's like look you're never gonna find the satisfaction that you long for until you become about God's presence, and purpose. See, we are unfulfilled because we are so often unengaged. And my challenge for you, my plea with you is to engage. God has such a bigger plan for your life. God's love for you is so much greater than you could realize. This morning, I encourage you, engage. I'll finish with this. In that same chapter of 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about how Christ has given them this ministry of reconciliation. And he gets to the very end and he says this. He says that he, meaning Jesus, in verse 21, he who had no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. How does that happen? It goes all the way back to Abraham. It goes back to believing God's word. It goes back to just believing in Christ, just believing in Jesus. And Paul even tells them in that chapter, he said, I implore you. In other words, I am begging you. If you have not been reconciled to God through Christ by faith in Jesus, then do it. And I wanna close with this opportunity today that if the Lord has spoken to your heart and you realize what I need is I need Christ in my life. I need Jesus in my life. I see where the plan and the fulfillment of that plan has been about him all the time. I, I get it. He took my sin upon himself. What separated me from God, he took the punishment for that so I could be reunited with him. And you realize that. And maybe for you it's been going through the motions and then all of, but listen, today is the realization that I need a relationship with Christ. And so this is what I would say, if God is knocking on the door of your heart and he is saying, hey, 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 I know how far short you've come. I know where you've been, I know what you've done, I know who you've done it with, but guess what? I paid the price for all of that. Now come to me. If God is calling you this morning, then what are you waiting for? I would encourage you, implore you, beg you, say yes to him today. If today is the day of your salvation, the day you say yes to Jesus for the first time in your life, this is what I would ask you to do. Heads up, looking around. uh, We're going to celebrate this. It's not something to be ashamed of. Right now, I just want you to put your hand in the air and say, today I'm accepting Christ for the first time. Today is the day of salvation for me. And what I want to encourage you with again Engage 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 in your relationship with God And engage with this incredible plan He's called you to Let's pray and we'll be dismissed Lord thank you so much for your word And it's truth Lord Would you stir our hearts God God don't let these words fall Don't let your word fall Lord on soil that can't receive it would you soften hearts today that we would receive it would you stir our hearts through the holy spirit lord i thank you that you still save you still give life you still transform you still speak you still move you still guide you still lead you still empower us for the purposes for which you've created us lord oh god let that be the cry of our heart to see the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the lord we love you we praise you in Jesus name amen amen hey God bless you guys y'all have a good week